Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Time. My name's Taylor Payne and I'm joined once again by a full complement of the Pod on the Time posse. We've got George Colgan here. George, how are you? I'm very good, thank you, Taylor. How are you? I'm not too bad at all, mate. Yeah, not bad at all. Chris Woff's here as well. How are you, Chris? I'm very good, thank you. Yes, you've all commented on the top that I'm wearing, which is my Pescara top, which has a rainbow on it and a dolphin and apparently was designed by a child who won a competition. I didn't win the shirt in a competition as you thought that I did as a child. <laughs> Shame they didn't have any adult sizes, though, Chris. Ooh, that's a bit of a low blow. Chris, it looks like something you'd get given on, on at a kids' club and a Mallorca all-inclusive. Well, I am nearly in full kit wanker. I'm not quite wearing uh, the full the, the, the socks, but I am in a short as well. Gosh. And Jacob Whitehead's here as well. Jacob, how the devil are you, mate? I am good. I'm still slightly breathless from my sprint back from London this morning. I've got a mere culpa for the late recording of this podcast. It's not due to... George's technological incompetence or Chris putting on his shin pads in preparation. <laughs> it's all me and me choosing a rather decadent 9.30 return train. Hot-footing it across Tyneside, weren't you, to get here in time for this one. Fair play to you, mate. Fair play. So to the London Stadium, an untelevised 2pm kickoff, and apart from the suspended Anthony Gordon, an unchanged side. And with Wednesday night's exploits still ringing in the ears and aching in the legs, Newcastle struggled early and then took control in the second half before succumbing to that late kudos equaliser. Always hard to take a late goal, isn't it, Chris? But it it draws probably a fair result, I would say. Yes, I mean, I'm basing my appraisal of this game mainly on, I listened to the radio commentary, then I've watched the sort of extended highlights of it, uh, which I have to say... I know Newcastle, in theory, actually have quite a good record at the London Stadium, but not only is it a rubbish stadium to visit, it is rubbish to watch on the TV as well. The camera angle is rubbish. Yeah. Um, but yes, it, first half, Eddie Howe was not a happy man, as he said afterwards, and as Alexander Isak alluded to afterwards as well, Newcastle just looked almost, whether it was emotionally knackered after last Wednesday, whatever it was, they just didn't get into the game. Second half, as soon as they equalised, they became the better team and could and probably should have gone on to win it. But in the end, they could have lost it. So it was it was a very topsy-turvy, unusual match in many ways. Yeah, caught napping in those early moments, weren't they, George? And Alexander Isak uh, said, according to him, Eddie Howe had to be very candid with the lads at half-time. Yes, although I do have a slight, slight kind of Chris Woff... Uh, role to to play this week, sort of ridiculous theories and all that. Come on then. I got to the end of the first half. I saw a very sort of angry or irritated response on on Twitter to the first half. I thought Newcastle did okay. I mean, I know that I know that it was an awful concession, and you know Nick Pope not his not his finest hour. And yes, I totally accept that Newcastle were nowhere near their best and weren't pressing as in, intensely as they might do. But they also had seventy one percent possession at you know, away from home. I thought they passed the ball pretty nicely and I certainly didn't see any reason for panic for panic after 
what had been a kind of hugely emotional, draining, uh, draining few days. And you know, in that context, I thought they did they did okay in the first half, but they did much much better in the second. Yeah, they did absolutely. And uh, I think there was probably a few tired challenges out there, wasn't there, Jacob? Bruno got a yellow card, uh, which he earned. Suchek said was a bit harsh, but then he once again sent Hearts fluttering, didn't he? Ninety seconds later, when he put another tackle in, he could have easily have seen red. Yeah, I mean. The view from West Ham Stadium, I need binoculars to kind of see the nuances of these challenges, but after kind of... You need binoculars to see the pitch. Yeah, well, I tried to uh, try to study it. I mean, I, I think he was fortunate and was probably helped by the fact that it was literally 90 seconds between them. If it had been kind of 20 minutes, it could well have been one and Newcastle got away with it a bit. David Moyes said after, I mean, he didn't want to find, but he said it must have been very close to a yellow card. And I agree with him, to be frank. Yeah, fair play. I think if that second tackle had come first, I think it would have been a yellow card. And you couldn't have complained if he'd been sent off for it, I don't think, can you? But again, bigger picture, I think it's good to see Bruno back at his somewhere near his best. I mean, I think he was excellent in midweek against PSG. That contract has now been signed, sealed and delivered. He signed his long-term deal, five years, which is kind of great news. And he seems pretty happy with life at the moment doesn't it he does i did did you enjoy the cartoonish style announcement video that came out on twitter it was some sort of tim burton-esque nightmare that it was great yeah it was it was it was uh it, it was really really fucking weird <laughs> absolutely was i never clue what was going on it was like he'd programmed it himself <laughs> on basic or whatever those programming th- document things are but what was lovely was the interview with him and his his father uh Bruno's dad, who everyone knows on the the club website, yeah, Dick Egemarish, which is a great name as well. So yeah, Bruno and Dick, Bruno and Dick, absolutely. What a ball that was out for oh, Trippier, by the way, for the second goal. I mean, I know Trippier was was brilliant in the second half yesterday, but God, that was a beautiful ball out. What a goal! What a goal that was the second one. If ever a pass was floated, it was that one, wasn't it? It was an absolutely huge improvement after the break, wasn't it, Chris? Everybody pushed further up the field and much more energy and a lot more sort of controlled, healthy aggression as well, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to return to George's ridiculous theory, seeing as he absolutely eviscerated mine the other week. And not only do we all disagree with them, the manager even disagreed with it. Eddie Howe no, know, basically I said know. they were rubbish face up. So nobody agreed with you that they were... I understand where you were coming from, that in terms of emotionally, you didn't fear that they were going to sort of collapse or whatever. But you just have to... They were, I didn't think they were particularly going to... I think part of the reason they had 71% possession was because West Ham wanted them to have the possession. Yeah. West Ham didn't do anything with it when they got it, except the, the one goal that they scored. But they let Newcastle have the ball and Newcastle didn't have the answers. Alexander Isak was isolated. He was moved out wide to try and sort that out there were, there was there seemed to be gaps across the pitch the midfield didn't function as it had done last week so I just want to completely eviscerate your point because you were wrong okay a I don't think my theory was um, it's not even in the same galaxy as yours for ridiculousness I mean yours was insane it was pathetic it was putrid and it was wrong <laughs> my theory Say was what you feel George my you my feel. theory is inc- is incredibly mild I suppose what I'm talking about is that sort of within the bigger picture of not just the last few days, but also the last seven games since since that kind of damaging defeat at Brighton, with the, all the players that they were missing and with that emotional overload of PSG, I actually thought they did okay. They needed to raise their game. You're totally right. They hadn't really laid a glove on, on West Ham. West Ham were hitting them on the break and that was all fine. I just didn't think it was terrible, particularly with all the players they had missing. Technically, is that a theory? 
Or is it more of a hot take? I mean, at least Chris's is a bit of craft to it, kind of whiff of Yeah, conspiracy. hot take, I'll take, I'll I'd, take I'd say George take. is more of a... It's not even hot take. Contrarian opinion. I mean, I'm really, I'm just saying something quite mild. It's just I didn't think it was all that bad. I mean, I've seen bad Newcastle performances in my life and I didn't think that was up there. I thought they did okay. West Ham were above them in the table. West Ham have had an absolutely blinding start to the season. I didn't think it was terrible. That's fair. Um, second half was an awful lot better, though, wasn't it, Jacob? And Alexander Izak with a couple of ice-cold finishes to flip the game on its head. A defensive error for the first one from Alvarez, which was a lovely strike as knockdown, I think that's what you call that. Uh, but the second one was just a beautiful piece of play, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I'll defend the first one as well. And just to spin slightly wider into Izak, he was asked to do so many different things in the first half as a house that desperately tried to kind of get them creating something. Although George will come and tell me that we created loads of stuff again. But he had to drop back really deeply to try and link play. They swapped him and Elias Anson to play Isaac out on the left and Anson sort of up front for a bit, which is quite weird. But then for that first goal, yes, it was a mistake from Alvarez, but you don't quite see it. He does these few kind of shuffle steps before cushioning it on his right and firing it in. And it's the sort of one which you could really easily snatch at or poke behind and was actually still really good. But yes, as you have trailed, the second goal really was Gorgeous. There's, there's a part which Elliot Anderson plays in it as well, near the start, where he beats a player four or five times before passing it back to Bruno. But I think it just showed, really, Newcastle's confidence in the second half because so much of it was one-touch football and that was what they were lacking early on. It's just everything was a bit more laboured. The second goal just showed how quickly they switched. Yeah, that second goal was gorgeous, wasn't it, George? The ball doesn't actually touch the floor from Bruno's boot until it hits the back of the net. A superb goal. Yeah, good good point. No, it was it was gorgeous, yeah. Absolutely brilliant. I mean Isak couldn't have missed surely, but um but no, it's an absolutely beautiful setup for it. And yeah, the disappointing thing is that from that position they then didn't close didn't close the game out, albeit I do think uh, I do think a point there is a is a is a very good result. Yeah, it's fair play. And Pressy's through as well, one on one for a hat trick. That the slide rule defence split and pass by none other than Dan Byrne. We weren't expecting that. Uh, and and his first touch kind of takes him a little bit wide, doesn't it? And then he's struggling to get the ball into the net and hits the post. It's unlucky, but probably should have had the hat trick, shouldn't he? Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's almost the pace that he's travelling at as well to, to, that he can't sort of then recover from the, the the heavy touch he sort of has to take because his first touch is a little bit heavy so he has to go wide and then yeah from the tight angle hits the post comes back off the defender and, and could have gone in as well but in, instead gets the corner it, 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 he was he was unlucky but he himself you could see his reaction I think he was kicking himself to a large degree he he desperately wanted that hat-trick him and, him and Callum Wilson seem to be now racing to see who can get the first hat-trick for Newcastle United because Wilson still hasn't hasn't got one either but for I mean Isak was the reason Newcastle even were in a position to have won the game and, and got the point in the end so to, to criticise him unduly I think would be taken a little bit too far I agree that the other two finishes both different off different feet did very well uh, with them particularly the first to, ha- to have the coolness the second one he just had to stick his left leg out but he was there to do that he was in he was in the correct position so yes un- unfortunate but he, he, he will be disappointed as well I mean just sorry Jacob I was going to just say Chris do you know who scored Newcastle's last hat trick? Oh, give me. Uh, this is not great podcast material, is it? We haven't got time. You just need an answer. Was it Dwight Gale? No, it was Ayose Perez. Oh, there we Perez. go. Sorry, Jacob. Go ahead. I was just going to say that <laughs> Emerson's touch for the West Ham's first goal is exactly the same as Isaac's. I mean, they're both race onto it at almost exactly the same point. It's exactly the same part of the pitch. The only difference being that there's a man in the middle. 
for Emerson's touch, Isaac didn't have that luxury. But in terms of saying it's too heavy a touch from him, everyone was saying Emerson's touch is beautiful. You know, it. it I think that's slightly different. So it's slightly, it's slightly different because Emerson was out wide. Uh, Isak is through the middle to begin with, and it, it, it's sort of Isak's racing through by himself. There wasn't it. I can see. I can see the comparison you're making, but I don't think it was directly one as the. I don't. I don't think it was a bad first touch. What it's done is it's taken him too close to the keeper. So then his second touch has to then take him wide. So I think that's the that's the problem with that first touch. It's not a terrible. It's not an awful touch at all. It's just it's he has to make an angle for himself with the second touch, and then it's. And then he's too wide, but um, and and because he's close to the keeper, he can't lift it above him. But I mean, you know, these things are milliseconds. I mean, you know, we mentioned there as well the the goal for uh, for West Ham, Chris Nick Pope. Uh, what are we thinking about that? His reactions are a little bit slow. He looked like a, an old man with a bad back running back to try and get the ball there. It was a strange one. I've seen some people say he should never leave his line. The the, pro- the thing at that the mistake that I think he makes is that. He leaves his line, then doesn't seem to know whether to commit and sort of gets caught yeah. between the two. And then, yeah, he reacts very, very slowly to it. So he should either fully go for it and maybe he doesn't get the ball anyway or he should stay back, but he, he does neither and then is caught completely in no man's land. And, and as Jacob says, Emerson takes a lovely touch around the keeper and then, then puts it in the middle for Suchek to just pass in the net. I mean, that was basically West Ham's only chance up to, up to that. Well, it was them. They, they only had five shots in the goal game and that was their, their only chance up to that stage. And I think it was... It, I also think the build-up Newcastle weren't brilliant at all. I mean, Cher gives it away to begin with, just floats a ball forward. It then goes to all the way to Ariola, and then West Ham build up down the left. And I didn't think Newcastle pressurised well enough. Only the cell sort of comes out. So Pope was culpable, but I also think there were other issues within there beyond just Pope himself. So just to defend Pope there as well. I mean, if you don't have Pope off his line, you don't have. Nick Pope. I mean, he's known as that sweeper keeper. That's what he does. I've just pulled up the stats now. On average, his position where he sort of does sweeping is a metre further forward than any other keeper in the entire league. It's why he's able to stop so many chances which come in. I think on this case, just watching live, it did feel like there's that moment's hesitation which Chris mentioned and that was what ultimately cost him. But you can't cut that out of his game or you don't have a goalkeeper, you do. Yeah, very much like a man caught between two bus stops with a bus on its way, wasn't he? That's what it, that's how it, what it resembled to me. Anyway. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. A little bit of stick online from the usual dark corners of Twitter or X for Sandro Tonali, and granted he was on his heels for that kudos goal, wasn't he? But Gianfranco Schola on Twitter has this bob for the naysayers. Uh, Leave Tonali alone, you bellends. (laughs) Beautifully put. Even if he was struggling, which he's not, you need to allow him time to grow into a player. Did you learn nothing from Gordon? That's fair enough, isn't it, George? That's totally fair enough. I mean, I, I, I don't understand criticism of him from the weekend. I thought, yes, okay, as you said, caught on his heels for that goal. But otherwise, I thought he played well. I thought he was very good against PSG. And yeah, he, he still needs time to, to, to adapt to the team. And it'll take it'll take a while, but there's, there's really are signs that he's that he's getting there, and we just need to be patient. And again, yeah. bigger picture, take a step back. 
he's had a bit of time out of the team and maybe he needed that but i th- i think he's i think he's looking i think he's looking good and the positive thing is that bruno now looks back to to the kind of player that we expect to just a wider sort of point and i realize that i'm trying to rationalize social media which is there's never a good thing but one th- i think an issue with it is as well that it's it's created this medium way people almost feel they have to go so far one way so massively criticize someone i think you can critique someone's performance and say that maybe they didn't play particularly well without that being a sort of you don't have to suddenly write them off as a player you can say Tonali maybe wasn't great at the weekend I'm not specifically pitting on Tonali in general I think that's the problem we've got into almost with sort of analysis of football in general is yeah. that we, we basically say oh he's either terrible or he's brilliant or if you if you say anything and everyone jumps to the defensive so I think you can an individual player say maybe he wasn't as, as, as good as he was in the previous week and I think we need to be careful both those ways as well to say Tonali does need time to go into it but equally you can't just just say everything that he did I mean there, there were incidents in that match where he probably wasn't great there was also some lovely touches and, and some lovely play out so you can see what he brings so I think it's you've got to reach that sort of happy medium which I think rarely do we with social media but also social media during a match is like being at the match I mean so I I kind of agree with you Chris it's it's fine to I mean I've said how many times have I said in my life even over the last couple of years fucking hell what are you doing that for what, what where, where's he going why have you what no no don't you know I mean that's fine and so people people still have that response on Twitter and say it and then if you look at it in the cold light of day after Newcastle have come back and won, won a match it, or whatever it looks absolutely ridiculous to then go back yeah. but of course you say things in the heat of the moment because you're tied up in it you're emotional you're angry you're annoyed whatever all those sort of things and yeah but then there's then there's the sort of inevitable response to that why are you criticizing to well it's not really a criticism it's just you know you, you want to win the game but i think i think also tonali has been the one that's been singled out um you know wider than that i think sort of after matches and in 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 media reports and and you know I know we're part of the media but I, he seems to be the one that gets criticism if there's criticism to be to be handed out and I do think that's unfair I think he's shown uh, great quality at times he has looked as if he's still finding his feet in the team but that's to be expected but I thought he played his part in the last few weeks and done it very well in the circumstances Jacob you have to be honest. I, I, the amount of football that's been played, we will be happy with a point with that, won't we? Yeah, she's such an emotional... We, Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Good. Such an emotional roller coaster. Probably for some people, not for me. I was flat. You could hook me up to a yeah, heart rate yeah, monitor. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Purely neutral. But just the fact, I mean, looking lucky to get anything out of it after the first half to then leading with five minutes left. Ultimately, your final emotion walking off a pitch is going to be disappointment. You've conceded a late equaliser, but yes, take that step back. It's a trip to, as George said, team who are flying pretty high in the league at what is a t- tough place to go in terms of West Ham generally, rather necessarily the London Stadium. But um, yeah, good performance. And also, George as well, probably happy with eighth place in the Premier League, aren't we? Best XG in the league and best goal difference. Uh, a good response since that first international break when they'd had three defeats on the bounce and you said hesitancy was their identity. Yeah, I mean, just to clarify one thing, I couldn't really give a toss what their XG is. I mean, you don't get any points for that, do you? Does that, does that get added up at the no, end of the some season? Some people care about these things, don't does they? Does that get some added up care. at the end of the season? It doesn't. We don't get the XG trophy at the end of the year. Don't Jacob looks that. like he but wants. Some to, people do like these. Jacob. Things. Jacob looks like he wants to jump in to 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 defend the XG lads. I'll just let you 
do your shtick. <laughs> there speaks. Um, there speaks a very weary. There speaks a very weary <laughs> man. No, I mean, but okay. what what the XG shows is that um, I've, I've got absolutely no idea. But no, it's been an absolutely brilliant response since Brighton. I was there, of course. Um, Chris, Chris. Uh, sitting smugly in the background there. And that was a very disappointing day. And yeah, I did. I said that um, hesitancy was 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 the way that they were playing. And, and they were. The, that Liverpool defeat looked to have knocked them back. And, you know, they didn't lose three games in a row at all last season. And so there were lots of questions being asked. There were even some questions being asked of the manager. There were a couple of reports during the, you know, during that time suggesting that he retained the support of the hierarchy at the club. I mean, that's how things were were looking. And to come back to where they are now is just a really, really uh, great response. And I mean, again, not just the first half at West Ham. I think that whole result and that whole performance coming after PSG is just really, really impressive. And, you know, they did, they did better at Sheffield United. They obviously stuffed Sheffield United after Milan. But you know, for the first time that, this, that the team, the club, has had this experience for a for a very long time, I just think it's been a I just think it has been a really tremendous response. Again, you have to look at the players who've missed this last this last kind of couple of weeks. Yeah, there's no Harvey Barnes, there's no Jillinton, Joe Willock is still out. Um, Wilson, yeah, was came came off the bench at the weekend, but he's been missing, and I I just think they've. They've rediscovered what they're all about, and it's it's been yeah, it's been brilliant. Everyone at the club should be happy with eighth, not you know not forever, but certainly from from where they were. I just think it's been a great recovery. It's a good time for that international break as well, isn't it, Chris? This has come exactly when Newcastle need it. I think so. I mean, you just hope it doesn't halt the sort of momentum they've built up in terms of those positive results because the last international break they needed for the opposite reason in terms of because they lost three games in a row they need to sort of pick themselves up yes they need bodies to come back and they did look emotionally drained if nothing necessarily further on on Sunday it was interesting because how as he has done previously was sort of saying he, f- he thought the players thought they were physically tired but al- almost it was a psychological thing and that he sort of think that fatigue becomes psychological and you have to get beyond that so if they can have Joel Linton back after the international break obviously Anthony Gordon will be back who was a big miss again on, on Sunday he doesn't go away on international duty which from I'm sure from personal point of view is disappointing for him but for Newcastle means that he gets a fortnight rest come back hopefully uh, with, with what is a huge huge match at St James's Park and a one that looks very winnable for Newcastle to, to, to continue their positive form their, their current unbeaten run um, and then between the, this next international break and the, and the following one, hopefully continue the form that they've, they've found in the last few weeks. Absolutely. And bigger, even bigger, bigger picture, Jacob. Uh, this uh, extraordinary week came two years after Newcastle's takeover, didn't it? It's something that we're going to talk about more on our live show on Thursday. But Jacob, you wrote about how the city, as opposed to just the club, is changing. Yeah, something I've been interested in, well, I think even before I sort of um, was moving up here, um, especially... Lots of it came after kind of seeing what's happened in Manchester with Manchester City and kind of wondering how similar things would be, um, similar questions would be answered at Newcastle. And I mean, stuff is just changing so quickly at the football club. And it's really interesting diving into what extent the city is going to follow suit. There's obviously lots of complexity to this, but all of the key stakeholders in the new ownership have said that they see a commitment to the wider region. It's not just St. James's Park. 
um, and just kind of trying to really delve into all of the different, I, I guess, sort of connotations of that. Um, so yeah, if uh, get and read it, it's quite a long one, so make a cup of tea. But uh, yeah, would love it if you had a read. Yeah, check that out on The Athletic from Jacob. Right, we're going to have a quick break and we'll be back in just a minute to talk about Alexander Isak. So some fine individual performances on Sunday, as we've discussed. Kieran Trippier's assist rate remains absolutely absurd. Uh, but Jacob, you chose to concentrate on Alexander Isak's impact, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing that I think that somehow Isak is still even overlooked. Like Newcastle have this £60 million striker who's one of the most talented young forwards in Europe. And sometimes he's kind of not even... I mean, and actually he's not always the headline. And so not much had sort of been written about his early life, his childhood growing up in Stockholm. And so back in May, I went out there and spoke to tons of figures from his childhood. And it's interesting because it's not this kind of perfect rise to prominence where he was kind of fated throughout his junior career. It's, uh, I think his head of the senior academy at AIK, where he came through, said it, this is not a fairy tale, it's a story of suffering. Um, and so, yeah, tried to uh, describe that. So you've been back through and, uh, and reviewed some of those interviews that you did all the way back in May. That's quite a while ago. How come we've only just hearing this now? Just a special for you. There's so much left on the cutting room floor for this piece, which came out a couple of months ago. Um, that especially, I mean, a couple of things he did at the weekend just really reminded me of it. Kind of the way that he single-handedly dragged Newcastle back into the game reminded me of his story of him being this stubborn kid who climbed up on a table to demand orange juice at a four-year-old's birthday party. Uh, so I thought I'd recycle that and then uh, got my head together with producer Ollie and there's a few more little tidbits which might be interesting. So who's our, who's our first protocol here? Right, first up we've got Andreas Alm who is the coach who gave him his debut at AIK when he was only 16. Now Alm might come back up again in the context of Newcastle because he also gave Jankuba Minter his debut at Unser Bold Club. I think I pronounced that right. Um, so invariably, we will soon probably profile into. He's having a really good season at Feyenoord. Alm is also responsible for his development, and that's sort of been Alm's calling card. He came through the kind of youth development ranks before taking his senior job, I guess kind of a bit like Steve Cooper maybe in the Premier League. And yes, yeah, so he had lots of pressure for his job actually when he gave Isaac his debut. And uh, around the same time, there's a big derby coming up against Jure Gardens in Stockholm derby um, and he turned to this 17 year old or sorry to this 16 year old as we'll hear from the first day up in sessions with us he did exactly what he's been doing with under 17 and when I've seen him play also abroad both in Holland and like all the clips I see no matter what shirt he wears he's, he just he's doing the same thing I'm not surprised that it looks like that because that's the way he's been doing it <laughs> But yeah, he has this, I don't know, 360 overview. He doesn't have to touch the ball. He has a lovely touch on the ball. First touch, second touch, last touch. Everything is great. But also the times he doesn't touch the ball, when he like puts a, a whole back four, back five on their heels because he just lets the ball flow a bit before he touches it. It opens up so many angles that he can hover above the ball a bit and then choose his direction it means he can go like both ways with it or anyway with the ball and then also with 
I guess through the years, of course, he's put on some some strength, uh, probably some kilos too. But was his frame ever an issue in those first few games? He said the youth coaches were slightly worried, but but was he able to hold his own in you know proper men's football? I, I watched the derby yeah, and he was getting kicked at just sixteen. He doesn't engage in things that that he doesn't put himself in situations where he needs to use things that he's not good at. So at that point, I. He's also smooth. He has a flow, like the dribble you saw. It's it, it just sli- slides away from people. It's not that they're even close to tackling him, and he's like in the penalty area, and there's a lot of players there, but they don't they don't get to him. He just like yeah dances off them with the ball, and that's that's pretty much what what he's done from the start, like running deep or getting a like a perfect pass on the like sliding through. For defenders and so on, he's just been, yeah, it's really smooth in that way. It's really fascinating that. I mean, I would recommend people go back to read Jacob's fantastic article. We'll put a link in the in the show notes. But you know, the the, the fabulous thing about Isak is that he can do a bit of everything, and he is that modern forward who can play anywhere across the front. He can get past people. Obviously, we know we know how good he is at finishing. What is it? Seven goals in ten appearances for the club this season. I think he's got one for Sweden as well. Um, but he can do. You know, he can beat people. He can pass the ball. He can hold it up if he needs to. What you want is for for him to be able to do all those things consistently. But he is this season. So yeah, that's uh, yeah, really fascinating. He had this mentor called Henok Goitem, who's also Eritrean, um, also played for AIK. And he always spoke about Isaac being sneaky and he and he made great pains to sort of make sure that it wasn't a negative, but it was sort of doing those little bits just to make sure that he gives himself the best chance. And actually for the second goal, as much beauty as there is in it, you see him just give Nayef Eger a little shove just before nudge, receiving yeah. the ball, which means that yeah. he's got that half yard just to tap it in. And I thought it was the perfect embodiment of that as well. Absolutely. And uh, Chris Page on Twitter has sent us a little tweet saying um, he always looks absolutely raging when he scores a goal. And he does, doesn't he? The teeth come out. He's, I was thinking about the one against uh, the goal against Spurs last year and that absolute drubbing. And he's he looks raging when he scores the goal. Oh, on the pitch, I think he is someone who quite often, though, he's very, he uses his face to very much show his emotions, which quite often are frustrating. Some, some players are more sort of uh, deadpan, but he's someone who you can always look across to him. And he, he, does, he, he doesn't hide his frustration. There was a couple of moments that were highlighted on Match of the Day 2 where he got the ball deep in, in West Ham's half. There's nobody near him. And he doesn't just hide that. He tells his teammates what he thinks of them. He's throwing his arms up in the air. He's letting them know. Yeah. And he demands those standards. That's what I think he like. He, he drives other players because he, he, he has that. In fact, and he's, he's so often we've seen him at St. James as well. He's the one who, when there's a moment, when something happens, he is standing in front of the crowd, throwing his arms up in the air, trying to, to drive them further. He feeds off that. And he, he can see he's almost a different beast. Because when you speak to him off the pitch, he's very softly spoken. He's someone who... You almost have to lean in and really turn up interview to, to actually be able to hear him. But on the pitch, there's absolutely no shyness to him whatsoever. He's, 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 he likes to express his, his feelings and, sh- and let people know how what he's thinking at that time. I think that kind of rage 
albeit that was a kind of you know a, a light-hearted point. I think it goes for both strikers. I mean, I think you see Callum Wilson playing hungry at the minute. He's got 17 goals in his last 19 appearances, as Jacob points out in his in his piece today. And yet he's not guaranteed a starting place at Newcastle. I mean, that's pretty astonishing. It's great that they're both in this position though, because it means they're pushing each other on. They know they can't slip because injury fitness permitting you've got somebody else to come in who who will be so Newcastle are in a different position with their strikers at the minute but it's um it's a really positive one Uh, and here's a little tabloid tidbit for the listeners as well Jacob you discovered this when talking to one of Europe's greatest ever strikers Henrik Larsson uh Isaac could easily have been plying his trade at the Camp Nou couldn't he Uh, Henrik Larsson a a name you've heard of before Jacob is that right just about just about Yeah, yeah, we had talks about him. I mentioned him, obviously, but I wasn't the one who took the decisions. And uh, at the time when I was at Barcelona, we didn't have any money, so it was hard to to buy him yeah. because I, th- I think he was uh, had a high um, clause in his contract of uh, other clubs wanted to buy him, so that wasn't a possibility for us but for, for sure I, I talked about him uh, to people in charge together with Kuman about him obviously because uh, he did really well in, in Spain and I think that was something we needed in that current team and in Barcelona somebody with speed good technique good first touch good reading the game good so yeah I talked a lot about him Jacob the the difference in your voice talking on the phone to Henrik Larsson and your voice today it sounds like you've aged about 20 years in the space of yeah I spoke to Henrik Larsson it was really great that can't just be me also from Yorkshire as well suddenly that can't can't just be working with me is it did you have a couple last night puberty puberty hit me late puberty yeah Yeah, okay (laughs) yeah fair enough he's choked me in the last six months (laughs) lovely stuff uh, Chris, yeah, you don't want to leave Kieran Trippier under praised as well, do you? Yeah, I mean, he's a man who receives a heck of a lot of praise, but I, I just want to heap more on him because I actually think he's getting better and more influential on this Newcastle side. He's joined top for a number of assists in the Premier League this season with five level with James Madison, who obviously had a wonderful start at Spurs, and Pedro Neto, who's been in glittering form at Wolves. But the, the first goal as well, he, he's heavily involved in that, his set piece, that the, the, he whips the ball in and then the ball goes back a, back across for, from Alvarez's header, which um, then uh, is is then put in back in the back of the neck by Alexander Isak. But then also that the second goal we've spoken about that the way that he, he just plays that ball first time it, it it's it's settling, but it's it's also it's it's a technique which I don't think that many players themselves would use. I don't think that many would have the confidence or the ability to actually execute that where you just take it first time. And he's so advanced in that position. He's trying to get in an attacking role. We've spoken so many times about the axis on the on the right-hand side of him, Bruno Guimaraes, yeah. often Sean Longstaff, Miguel Almiron, whoever is featuring on that flank. But I, I just think for, for a player who is in his, his, his early 30s now, but he just seems to get better and better. And uh, you can see exactly why Newcastle have tried to future-proof the right-hand side and make sure that if he is injured, there's someone to come in because he just plays a key role in just about everything Newcastle do positively. Absolutely. Beautiful cross that was. Absolutely gorgeous. Right then, let's uh, have a little break and we'll be back to wrap things up. But don't forget to subscribe to The Athletic via theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod and pay just one ninety nine a month for 12 months. Uh, we'll be back in just a sec.
So Newcastle United women's team ran out convincing winners at Liverpool Feds, the team who beat them to the FAWNL Division 1 North title two seasons ago. Uh, the Lasses led 1-0 at the break through Casey Elson and Emma Kelly. Uh, made it two early in the second half before Bridget Galloway added two more to take her already impressive tally to nine goals in just six games. And Burnley uh, will bring their unbeaten league record to Kingston Park on Saturday to face Becky Langley's 100% mags. Not a bad start, George. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, by all accounts, they should have. Uh, they should probably have been more than one nil up at half time, but then doubled their lead straight afterwards. And then, yeah, in the end, that's a really comfortable victory for them. Yes, against the team who who pipped them to to the title a couple of years ago. So I'm sure they'd have been delighted by that. Yeah, absolutely. It's 100% for Becky Langley's team. Uh, four wins out of four in the league. They've scored 12 goals. They conceded once. And this is a big game coming up at the weekend. Burnley atop. They've won five and drawn drawn one of their games, but Newcastle, the only team left with a 100% record, should be a really, really good game. But um, yeah, what a fantastic, what a fantastic start. Brilliant. Bridget Galloway smashing them in from all angles as well. That's what you love to see, don't you? Uh, right, we have to say as well thanks to Ian Johnson and Chris Healy who sent emails uh, to us about the PSG match. Uh, and Chris especially was lovely about the show, uh, filling in the gaps for him after he chose to miss the match to take his family on holiday. Now, I'm not sure if he chose to miss the match. I think he had the, the holiday booked first and then the match was scheduled and he couldn't uh, he couldn't go to the match. But yeah, fair play. Check us out on Twitter. We're easy to find, at Pod on the Tyne, or email us at podonthetyne at theathletic.com. Uh, Chris Healy does learn from his mistakes, though. Having missed the game of the century, he won't be missing the event of the millennium at Gosforth Civic <laughs> Theatre on Thursday, chaps. Are we all looking forward to this, George? Can't wait. Yeah, can't wait. And they're keeping the bar open, especially late. So even if we are totally shit, we can all get really pissed afterwards to, to forget that. So, no, very much looking forward to it. It should be great. Yeah, I suppose we better start thinking about what we're going to do and saying, eh? How about that? Uh, you all prep, Chris. What are you wearing? You got a nice outfit picked out for it. I'm still deciding on that one, but uh, what I am going to do on the way there is I'm going to ring George's doorbell just to see if we get a similar reaction to we did on the, the last podcast on someone <laughs> in opportune moment. Absolutely, <laughs> Jacob. How are you feeling ahead of your live debut for Pod on the Tiny? Excited? Yeah, I mean, I was watching Supersonic, the Oasis documentary earlier this week, and so I'm kind of expecting to be roted in from Newcastle Airport over to Gosforth Civic Theatre. I freshly uh, ironed my vintage 80s Everton shirt just so sort of everyone knows where I stand. Uh, yeah, couldn't be more ready. It's been... There's similar sort of bitterness as there was between the Gallagher brothers within this podcast as well, isn't there? I suppose it's very, very similar. <laughs> uh, it's quite clear as well also with George and Chris, who's who. It's clear you've been gargling with razor blades ahead of the big night as well, uh, Jacob. I don't know what's going on here, but I hope I hope our hope our usual Jacob is back on Thursday night. Apologise for everyone who's listening to this. Awful, Jacob. Uh, you've been with us for almost a year now, and you've been so good at your job. Uh, it's been easy to forget that you're still in the early stages of your career. But today, mate, you have been very, very green. Uh, and as George and Chris will tell you, the first rule of Pod on the Time Club is to be very careful when you send interviewer interviews to the producer. Uh, he has Jacob's super cool question: the Celtic's greatest ever goal scorer. He seems to be really good at those improvised finishes where he's off balance or flicking out a leg. Is that something which you can train? Oh, sorry, my voice went. Is that something you can train? 
thought that when it was you went quite a good question. There, it was just going that through. very moment. So that, it, so that was when puberty started. That's incredible. <laughs> oh, that is incredible. I didn't know that was coming. God, I've just gone, oh, the, I've just gone in the opposite direction. I'm so excited by that clip. I thought it was quite a good question. Oh, I wasn't was expecting that to come. I was wondering why I was getting dug out for that. Oh, wow. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Wonderful, wonderful oh. noises. More of those wonderful noises from Jacob, hopefully, on Thursday night. That was incredible. Beautiful. Well done. That was brilliant. Uh, right then. Thanks very much, chaps. That's it. Let's, uh, let's wrap things up. Uh, everyone, thank you for listening. It's been great fun. Uh, we'll be back after our first live show if we've all managed to stay together we might split up due to musical differences by then you never know uh, we shall speak to you very soon from everybody at Pod on the Time take it easy goodbye which Gallagher brother am I then Jacob Paul the one who wasn't allowed in the band <laughs> Athletic.